A lot of people back down the bike. I didn't. I made it a point. I said, just tire him out. Tire the f out of him. You just got to tire him out. And I kept hitting him and then banging him and hitting him and banging him. It took a toll on Mike. It took a toll. And then <laughs> resting him a little bit. And then the, the, the series changed. And I wish I could have did it earlier. I don't know if the outcome would have been different, but it, it, it was a difference. <laughs> and, and beating him down a little bit. The glove. I had no problem with the glove. I had no problem with Gary Payton. I had a lot of other things on my mind. D and Davis to show. And right now we're joined by sports reporter for the Seattle Times, Percy Allen. Follow him at Percy Allen. We definitely got to get into the last dance. And one thing we've been trying to do is not just talk about the Bulls, but especially for us that kind of grew up with it, to talk about the teams they were playing and kind of find out the narrative or the context that was going on in that city and with that team. And luckily enough, we have Percy to join us. How are you doing, Percy? I'm fantastic, guys. How are you? We're doing, doing good. good. Sorry. Uh, first, because, I mean, it's kind of like the big one that came out of this. You have what well, Gary Payton says that he should have been placed on Michael Jordan earlier in the series. But the funny thing about that, if you kind of look at it, uh, right now current Pacers head coach player back then, Nate McMillan, was injured at the beginning of that series. So Gary Payton basically had to be the primary ball handler instead of playing the two where he could sit there and have more energy to play defense. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, that's exactly right. And then on top of that, Gary had, uh, you know, sort of in that series where you were even before that series, a bit of a calf injury. Mm -hmm. And so that was another concern. And then there was also the concern that that team, and, and it wasn't just Gary, but that team was tired. Because if, if you think in the Western Conference Finals, they got pushed to seven games. And that's really the Sonics fault. So really this whole thing kind of even, you know, before the Bulls, you know, sort of, sort of happened, what, what I remember was the Sonics were up 3-1 on the Jazz in the Western Conference Finals. And uh, the Bulls then played, I want to say on a Saturday, they swept their series. Mm -hmm. And everybody, in, in, right? In, in, right? In, and then um, the uh, Sonics had the Jazz at home, game five. Thought, oh, all right, you know, uh, they win the series and then they'll go straight to sh sh Chicago for the series to start on Friday. Well, lo and behold, Jazz win two. Jazz mm. win two games, push it another week, and that's just extra wear and tear. And that's when Gary's calf kind of got a little toward to get me there too. And so, you know, there was this whole deal that, hey, look, that this team, after just beating – the 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 you know the uh, the uh, jazz that was like a big thing for him, and then and and you know those first three games I'm just I mean look, I was there, they wanted to be there but they were tired they were just mm -hmm. mentally tired and it mm -hmm. took them a while to like really get into this series, uh, and so yeah you could say the whole you know should Gary had been on Michael but that that would that would just been a whole lot. And, and, like, as you said, Nate was not there. Nate was a big part of that team. Um, you know, like, he only played, like, 55 games that year. Mm. But I want to say in those 55 games, they were 49-6. and six. You know, I mean, Nate was a big part of what they did. He allowed them to trap. Um, you know, he uh, allowed Gary to come off of the ball. And so him not being there was really key. Percy, one thing you brought to my attention is depth. 
So one of the things that Carl, I mean, George Carl alluded to was that he probably should have played Frank Bukowski more minutes instead of Irvin, not Magic Johnson, which used to always be weird <laughs> as a kid. It's like, Irvin Johnson? But so, so can we blame George Carl a little bit more? Because, of course, with Nate McMillan being hurt, you, you had to use Hersey Hawkins a lot more. But at least with your bigs, there was more depth there that you could have probably used. And he waited to switch Irvin Johnson for, Brink, for Bukowski. You know, again, hindsight is perfect. And, yeah, you know, and, and but but I give some credit to, like, George in the sense that he has really, look, that series has devastated him, and just, like, a lot of losses. And he allowed us inside, you know, to, like, in, hmm. and he allowed himself to be sort of, sort of micro, you know, not, you know, but allow people to, to like, really, you know, pick. You, you know, pick it apart. Mm-hmm. decision makings mm-hmm. and and he went back and forth with it i mean like he was open that way whereas like you see some of these coaches who are just like no i stand by my decisions and you know xyz george wasn't that way george was like yeah you know you got a good point there and so mm-hmm. hindsight was yeah that that like Irving just really wasn't tough enough for the bulls i mean look look he was fine in sort of you know that season but it's interesting to note um, before I say it, I, I really want to get this right. Uh, Irvin was replaced. Irvin, not Magic Johnson, was replaced in game three or four of that series. Never played for the Sonics again. Mm-hmm. Never. Play, I mean, so, uh, yeah, I mean, now, obviously, that, you know, that summer he became a free agent. Sort of let him go. But he didn't play again in that series. And, you know, sort of, uh, but now, that's not to say that he wasn't good for them for, you know, that year. But, yeah, uh, for that series, the whole – the rebounding was a big key. And Dennis Rodman just – was just all over the place, so, you know. Uh, and Frank Brunkowski was just no-nonsense. He was a – he was, you know, he was like a one-year free agent pickup. And, you know, he was a, a older sort of veteran guy. I want to say at that time he was about 33 years old. And, you know, sort of like, you know, had been around – grizzled vet whereas Irvin was like 24 25 and but like Frank was just you know and I want to say Frank got kicked out of like three of three of, of those games yeah I mean just from like either just from the uh fouled out or just kicked out he and Dennis were just going at it mm. D and David show Percy Allen's right here with us make sure you follow Percy on Twitter at Percy Allen uh Percy like one thing is kind of cool with this documentary last thing's documentary is re is reintroducing or introducing a younger uh demographic to 80s and 90s basketball right and Ken and I growing up we love seeing the uh, Seattle Supersonics uh Kind of give us, kind of give the younger viewers here and listeners here, kind of a uh, a look back at those teams, those '90s uh, supersonic teams, and also too, you had the Rain Man, Sean Kemp, you had the Glove, Gary Payton, and their impact on the game. And two part to it, second part to it, what would you think was missing from that from that core, from that team right there? Those, especially those two guys, to to eventually get them into a championship or have them win yeah. a championship. Boy, uh, so to answer that first part, you know, to just try to, like, to educate sort of young folks, probably like yourself, I don't know, I mean, you already got some... I got the grades. I was around a little bit there, person. (laughs) 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 Like, the Sonics have been gone now for, you know, over like a decade Over a decade, yeah. Right, and so, you know, like, I've got kids, and so we're watching it, 
And my kids are growing up and, you know, they have no idea who the Sonics are. And which yeah. is so crazy, you know, to me. And for, you know, uh, uh, us folks of mm -hmm. a different generation of a different mm -hmm. ilk, like, you know, back in the day, Seattle was just a tough place to play. It was a, a cool place to play. It was a cool vibe, like the 90s, right? I, and I hate to sound old. It's like, oh, we had this, you know, but it really was cool. And yeah. a lot of it was because of GP and, and, and Sean. I mean, I mean, they were just, um, I mean, they just played the game in a different type of way. And George had a lot to do with that, too, because of his defense. But he had the right guys. And GP was just all cheering and just Oakland. I mean, like, he really brought that yeah. Oakland vibe here. And Sean just was just perfect for it, too. Sean was a rain man and just high-flying. Yeah. It was, you know, you know, I guess you could really look back and, you know, I think somebody, and, you know, I'm sure somebody has done it. I haven't done it, but the Sonics had, like, a six-year run that was just, um, that was, you know, for teams who did not win it. Obviously, yeah. there's a few who can sort of go in there. But but for like the for the for like the teams who didn't win, maybe the Knicks at one point in time or with the Jazz, you know, mm -hmm. there too. But the but the Sonics had like a six year run where they were like they averaged almost sixty games. I want to say they averaged like fifty eight games, didn't win it. But those teams were a lot of fun, you know. Um, where where like their downfall was, and what you know, a lot of superstars just didn't eat when like when like MJ was in his prime. But when their downfall was, is when MJ left the game. 94? Where I'm going. You can know where I'm going. Yeah. <laughs> Did Kimmy Matumbo on the floor with the ball? Yeah. I was going to ask you about that one. Never real forget, quick. Never forget real, about it. Real quick, let me ask you this, because that was a question I have for you that you just went to. All right. I, I, usually back in those days, you can look at, for instance, the Kobe missing the shots at the end when he was young. Or here in Chicago, and Kobe came back from that. Here in Chicago, you actually had Nick Anderson in one of those finals where he missed the shots against uh, the Houston uh, Rockets. And him being a Chicago guy, he was never the same MSN. after that. And the crazy thing was, uh, listen, and you got to think now, because we, for everybody should know, usually at that time, we all kind of had an affinity for Seattle. Like if you're a basketball fan, you like the Seattle Supersonics, especially mm -hmm. when GP started to come into his own. Um, when they lost to the, to the, the eighth seed in Denver, all right, being the first, had the best record in the year, I think they had six or three wins, and they lost to the eighth seed that year, and you still see the Kimbe on the ball. I remember Lafonso Ellis. I remember all those guys. Mm -hmm. You would have never thought they could make it back to the finals after that. And can you talk a little, about, a little bit about how they got that out of their head, how quickly they got that out of their head to get them back to the finals? Because that would have destroyed a lot of teams on the come up. You know, it took a while, and so it did. And, you know, so I give credit to, again, George Carl, and a, a lot of people in this town do not want to give him credit. But I, I also give credit to the general manager, Wally Walker, and to the ownership, because there was a lot of people who thought, just like sort of like kind of what you're sort of hitting at, is that, you know what, they're not going to overcome this, and you, and you may need to blow this up. Uh, but to management credit, they say, you know what, we're not going to blow this up. They were close. Yes, that was a devastating loss, but we're going to roll it back. And they rolled it back. And guess what happened? They got knocked out in the first round again. Again. Mm -hmm. And then you can just imagine that, oh, can, all right, so then it be just became this thing that, oh, they're fun during the – so, you know, it's kind of mm -hmm. a lot like the Houston Rockets now. That, like, they're fun during the regular season, 
they can win during the regular season when there's no pressure. But when the playoffs start, they just crumble. And that was true. And, and then, if I can, you know, and so now, so you fast forward that. So, like, you've had two really good teams, that 94 team that won 63, as you said, like, had the best record. The next year they won 57, had a really good record, but they were, like, the 4-5 or five seed, and so it was kind of like a toss-up there, but they lost it in the first round. Uh, and so now, and so now you roll that into, all right, so what are we going to do? Do we bring George Carl back? Do we blow it up? You know, we got these two young superstars, you know, um, now one of the reasons they didn't blow up, they didn't blow it all up because they had Sean on a sweetheart of a deal. Mm. Sean wasn't the highest paid player. Gary wasn't the highest paid player. You have, you, 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 you have your best two players young in their prime are not the, the, the highest, the second, or the third highest paid player. Gary Payton was the fourth highest paid player. Sean Kim was the fifth highest paid player. That's why they didn't blow it up. Interesting. Sounds like Chicago with Scottie Pippen. That's a, drop that bomb right there, Percy. Drop that bomb on us. Yeah, basically. Hey, uh, Percy, another thing, too. I want to stick with the uh, with this uh, uh, Seattle Supersonics, obviously, and you being there, uh, looking at the Last Dance documentary. Was there anything that – you think could have been added to it or a different kind of angle uh, within that finals? You was there covering. Is there anything you, you would have liked to have seen? Well, you know, just from that particular year, you know, wow. Um, it, one, I would like to say that I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed, you know, these past four weeks. I thought the first eight episodes were, were really good. I thought this past week was better than most. I, you know, I love – episode seven when like Jordan was really pushed about sort of, you know, being a bully and a tyrant. And like, you could see that like there was some pushback there and I almost thought he was going to get emotional. Right. And so I love that part of it. And then to roll that into episode eight and then, yeah, I, I was watching that really closely. Like, all right, so, you know, let's see kind of where they go. I mean, they can only show so much. Um, no, look, I, look, I think they've done a fantastic job. I think Jordan has been, um, sort of forthcoming to a point, you know, mm -hmm. right? I mean, obviously, this is his story. Yeah. And so, you know, he's going to tell it his way. Um, you know, early on, you know, like a lot of people, and I'm sure you may have had some guests on or like people talk about it, and necessarily like the treatment of Isaiah, you know, uh, Thomas, that I, I thought he, you know, yeah, I mean, there was some of that uh, I didn't necessarily like. Um, you know, I guess uh, sort of like Jordan kind of being Jordan, you know, I mean, this is him, his chance to get the last word on things. Mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily like that. And and it's not like I'm a, you know, a, you know, sort of one guy or another, but when he laughed at sort of Gary, like, I had no problems with the glove. That's that yeah. Thing. Like, come on, man. I mean, <laughs> so, you know, I didn't necessarily like that so much, but I understand it coming from, MJ because he's just supremely confident that way, uh, you know. But uh, if you're, you know, you know, if you're looking at it from a different direction, you thought, well, you know, that was a little arrogant, you know. Mm -hmm. But but you know, but that's Mike, right? Dan Davis, right now we have Percy Allen on from the Seattle Times breaking down the last dance, particularly the Seattle Super Sox, Supersonics of uh, the '96 Finals. Uh, Percy, let me ask you this, and this is going to be here in Chicago, be heresy. And also, I'm gauging it on what Jordan did in the past, because in the past, Jordan would always raise his level in the finals, all right? And then, of course, we know, and we knew that here, you know, around the nation, that this was around Father's Day when this was taking place, and he was emotional. This is his worst finals, uh, 
also, but you just mentioned the games when Gary Payton switched off on him, his scoring average dipped for him. I won't say dramatically, but it, it dipped, dipped, right? He was averaging like 31 points. The thing when GP got on him, maybe like 23 or something like that. Even though they was kind of letting him play a little, they was let him get away with a lot. Let me just say that part, all right, to defend Chicago. But I want to get back to the Rain Man real quick because really in that finals, and it's not LeBron first year versus Golden State, in a way I always felt like he shouldn't have been MVP, but he had the best series of that final. Dennis Rodman would get under the skin of Shaq, Carl Malone, Alonzo Mourning, and all I can remember is Sean Kemp literally putting him in the rim with him when he was going up. Like, I've never seen someone, and this is before, like, Dennis wasn't the perimeter player that he was in the past, but he was still a, a, a decent enough defender. But he would dunk, and Dennis would be hanging on him, and it would be nothing. And this, to me, was – this was the peak of Sean Kemp, period. This was the best Sean Kemp we had ever seen. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah, definitely. You know, and, again, it didn't just begin in that series. You know, so the, the one cool thing about that sort of playoff run was that Sean kind of came into his own. And, you know, that was happening early on in the season. He was being challenged a lot by George Carl that, like, hey, you know, whose team is this, all right? Like, you know, like where, you know, like where are we going to go to? I distinctly remember, and I hate to kind of keep going back to it, but it goes back to that Utah series, the Western Conference Finals, Sean versus Carl Malone. Mm. I mean, and like it was always sort of like this, you know, uh, John Stockton, Gary Payton, you know, Carl Malone, Sean Kemp thing. I mean, and so that series really was just, it was just a war. And that's really one of those series that kind of gets lost in the annals of the greatness of the Bulls because they overshadowed a lot. I mean, the Bulls won 72 games. It was, yeah, I mean, it's our, yeah, I mean, people think it's the greatest, you know, team of all time. And so everything else that happened that season, you can, you kind of don't remember. Mm. But for, you know, but I'm, I'm telling you that, that, that Seattle-Utah series was just epic. Mm. And Sean Kemp came into his own. Game seven, Sean Kemp and, and, like, and like George and Gary, both of them said, young fella, is you, because it wasn't Gary. It, I mean, and look, I like that, and it wasn't gonna be Debt. Wasn't gonna be Hersey. Mm-hmm. Wasn't gonna be you know Sam Perkins. They just said, "Young fella, is you, and you, and and you got to go after uh, Carl," and he did, and he took it on himself. And so, take all that going into that sh- Chicago series. Sean was just Sean was just in was just playing well, mm-hmm. and Dennis for all his. Yeah, he didn't want none of that smoke. I mean, no, he didn't. just like, <laughs> I'm playing. I mean, I am out here playing. And then what helped Sean is that Frank Brakowski was going to be that enforcer. Like, mm-hmm. if you want to do some sh- shenanigans, he'll get caught up in that. Sean wouldn't get caught up in none of that. Sean was just about playing. I'm running up and down this court. I'm about to do my moves. And then I'm about to either dunk it, flush it on you, or just give you that little, little short jumper and live with the results that way. Uh, mm. No, it was really his best playoff series. Well, it's funny. Uh, we were talking to Kerry Eggers out of uh, Portland, mm-hmm. and I brought up this almanac that I used to have, and I was talking about Cliff Robinson in it. But one of the players, and these were guys that were basically like high school guys going in at the back of the book, and Kemp was one of those guys. I think this may have been after he didn't make – was it Texas El Paso? What school did he go to that – he went to one school and got kicked out or whatever. Because in a way, he kind of went from high school to the pros as far as he really didn't yeah. play in college. Yeah. He went to yeah. JUCO, right? Yeah. yeah. 
was it like a Trinity? Trinity? Yeah, perhaps it was. It was something. Was it in Texas or regardless? The point. No. That, okay. It was like in Indiana. Okay. The point that I'm really trying to get at is for a long period of time, we grew up with, regardless of his, his skills hadn't been as refined as they were, had gotten to in 96, because in 96, we're not talking about just dunking, we're talking about the jump shot was popping and, and everything, and he always had a handle to be a big or whatever. But as kids, we would have thought that that was his team because we're not in the locker room, we don't know necessarily the hierarchy. And at this point, Gary had really came into his own and also, you had Nate McMillan on the team who was kind of always a leader. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. w- one, from, from us being on the outside, as far as leadership, whose team was it? But also, when it comes to Sean Kemp, can you give us some of his, his, his positive and negative attributes? Because to be such a phenomenal player, he's, he's really disappeared. And you don't have the same gravitational pull that he once had in the 90s with how just phenomenal he was as a high flyer. Yeah, you know, definitely. You know, so, you know, as far as his strengths and weakness were was that he was just this amazing athlete first of all I mean you know as you said there six eight could run the floor like just effortlessly uh could just jump out of the gym you know uh look I still remember and I think I was back in college at that time uh with the 92 slam dunk uh uh contest and, and just some sailing you know I mean that was just like just that was one to, to me Again, one of the top five all-star dunks that people don't mm-hmm. even remember. You know, but, you know, um, so in terms of the locker room, it was – that's in- interesting there. You know, uh, and, you know, I hate to sort of be on the fence with this, but I'll say this, that it was Gary's team, but in many ways it was Nate's locker room, if okay. that makes sense. It yeah, does. Right? Yeah. Uh, you know, look, Gary's just this force of nature. I mean, you just got to – I mean, you you have to. De- uh, Gary's just going to be Gary. Gary fills up a room. Gary has a personality that is just big, and especially back then. Mm. I mean, you know, I mean, number one overall draft pick. You know, coming out of Oregon State. I mean, Gary was just this force of nature. Nate was was just uh, cool and and even killed, and you know, could like connect to different parts of the locker room. Whether you're from a small rural town or from a big city, Nick could get you that way. Gary was big city, Oakland, and he came at you one way. And so you kind of, so it was his team, but Nate, and you can even say Sam Perkins, because Sam was, you know, sort of old, older back then. Mm-hmm. Nate, Sam Perkins, and, and like Detlef Shrimp, they were the old sort of veterans that, that kind of kept things sort of even, even killed because Gary and George Carl would always just clash. And so, and so that's kind of going back to kind of when you guys asked, like, what kind of kept this team from, you know, winning? A lot of it had to do with just the maturity and the makeup. That, like, George Carl is, will also, you know, and, and admit to that, like, he liked a little bit of chaos. Like, you know, and that was all also the NBA of that time. I mean, it was – I mean, so we getting a glimpse of Michael Jordan and, and, you know, how he ran his team, he wasn't the only one. I mean, I mean, there was fights across the league that year. I mean, there was – I mean, the, the – it was just a, a different time. And, and, and so with this group, there was a lot of headbutting. There was a lot of egos. There was a lot of, you know, uh, playing for sometimes the wrong reasons, you know, playing for that contract instead of playing for your team. And so that happened a 
and, and so they had to grow and, and sort of get there. And, and they had that six-year run where it's like, you know, and, and again, talking of the contracts, that year Gary was just underpaid. He knew it and everybody knew it. Sean was underpaid. He knew it and everybody knew it. And their contracts were coming up. And so, you know, they were just waiting their time. Now, personally, now we all know the history of the Seattle Supersonics. They were up there. Kevin Durant was drafted by them, but obviously they went down to Oklahoma City. Uh, you're still there. Uh, one thing that's really jumping out to me, uh, at least with looking at social media, I was watching the last couple of episodes, was a lot of people saying, we said it before, like how big of a market and how crazy of a basketball and great basketball city Seattle is. Uh, you're there on, on, on the grounds. Have you heard any, any mention of the NBA trying to make a return back to Seattle? You know, yeah, there's been yeah, uh, there's been some efforts, right? You know, over the past few years, uh, a a little while back, a uh, investor by the name of Chris Hansen, uh, sort of, you know, he was close. He had a push. He uh, he thought he had a a deal done uh, to, uh, you know, to bring the Sacramento Kings to Seattle, and it looked like it would happen, but. Um, David Stern, may he rest in peace, um, just didn't want that to happen. And uh, it didn't happen. Uh, and a lot of people here are really bitter about that because they blame David Stern in the first place for mm-hmm. letting the team leave. Mm-hmm. And then on a second turn, when it seemed like Seattle had a avenue to get a team, he wasn't in favor of that. I'm not going to say he blocked it, but he wasn't in favor of it. And we all kind of know that if David didn't make it happen, it wasn't going to happen. And so since then, uh, since that all fell apart, um, Chris Hansen still owns a lot of that property downtown that is perfect for development, but, but with no, you know, no team sort of insight, no sort of, um, pathway no easy easy pathway um i don't see expansion happening i just don't i mean uh i mean perhaps you you guys have heard otherwise but i just don't see expansion happening with with this league um especially not until the next collective bargaining sort of comes up uh and so then you're talking about relocation of some sense and I don't know if, if the appetite is there either and 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 also keep in mind that one of the sort of uh, biggest basketball fans that was in Seattle, Steve Ballmer, who was a part of that Chris Hansen sort of group there. He has since left that group, and mm-hmm. we know what he did. He went right. to L.A., and he bought the Clippers. And so, you know, that took away a big sort of, uh, you know, personality and not, you know, sort of talking about sort of the, the finances that he brings to the table. And so um, I just – I. I I would like to be optimistic, but uh, I don't see it happening anytime soon. Dean Davis with Percy Allen from the Seattle Times. Percy, uh, getting back real quick to George Carl. Um, George Carl was really on the come up and was a, a top flight coach at the time in Seattle, uh, moved around a couple of places, but you kind of look at some of the stuff that happened uh, as far as some of the comments that he made, I believe in, in his book about like Carmelo and J.R. Smith. Like, how do you view his coaching legacy for the most part, I think is the question you, you said that he was pretty open and, and open for a head coach compared to other coaches. So how do you, someone that's been up close and personal with him view his coaching legacy? Um, you know, I think of George Carl as just a tough dude, you know, one, you know, it's so, 
interesting because I've sat in his coach's room and I mean, you, you, you know, like, you know, like all of us have done it right to just sit down with these guys before the games and, you know, and, uh, and I, you know, I've done that so many times. And so I'm a little biased in this, in the, in the aspect of that. I was just cutting my teeth on the NBA. Like I was just fresh out of high school, I mean, college. And here I am in like George Carl's, you know, office, you know, on a nightly basis. And he's basically reteaching me this game, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, and, you know, he's being really open, uh, you know, sort of in this sort of group of like scribes who are in there. And so I'm just just fresh. I'm just sort of soaking it all up. And, you know, and then you saw how, then when you hear his story, you know, of like, you know, the whole Dean Smith and the North Carolina deal. And, and so, like, he came from the blue blood. And then not just that, then he said, you know what? I'm, you know, he wasn't sort of given, like, this golden path to the league. He went off and just did his own thing. He had to do that, right? Like, he had to go overseas and to really cut his teeth that way. Uh, you know, he did the CBA route. CBA. I mean, can you even, you know, I mean, he did the CBA route for years. Uh, I mean, like, like this guy loved basketball and just loved teaching the game, especially young people. Didn't matter who you were. Now to like that regard, as I said, now, so all, so, so two things can be true too. George also was just this antagonist, right? I mean, just with his players, right? I mean, um, I mean, he just, and like he had an idea of how the game should be played back then that that like you had to be physically tough and you know in a certain sense and he liked those types of players i also like the the aspect that like george carl i believe was a visionary in the sense of how he embraced a style of play defensively that really not a whole lot of people were like doing it back then and it was Bob Kloppenberg's defense. Bob Kloppenberg, one of the architects of this game. And he was an assistant under George Carl. And it was Kloppy who just said, you know what? He, you know, I mean, he was this defensive whiz. And it was all about traffic. It was ambitious. And then at that time, there was, there was rules about what you can. And it can I mean, obviously, you couldn't play zone. But, but a Kloppy system, you know, it was basically, you know, you were. You got you close were, to playing his own. Yeah. You were kind of. He was cheating. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he wasn't cheating. But, okay. but, you know, it was, it was a lot of trapping. It was just a lot of trapping. And, like, he had the two guys who could do it, you know, and, like, uh, GP and Nate, they could do it. And just guys were just swarming. It was a swarming defense. And, man, it was just so good that way. And George loved to play that way. He loved to be aggressive that way. Um, now, I can see all of the faults. Look, George was honest to a, I mean, if you ask him a question, you know, I, I mean, George will, will tell you. I mean, like the next year he kind of got in trouble when he was talking about M MJ, right? Uh, I, I distinctly remember it. We were in, we were in his office and we were just talking about, you know, do you see any sort of um, wear and tear there? Mm. Yeah. He doesn't dunk as much as he used to. That's all he said. That, 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 that's all he said. He doesn't dunk as that like he basically is taking more jumpers than normal. Well, that got back to Mike. Of, of course, it got back to Mike. Right, and it became headlines everywhere. And then uh, I want to say, and I'm I don't know, uh, I could be embellishing this, but I want to say the next time that 
Mike came to Seattle. I want to say he dropped like fifty six on 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 Sonics. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was forty seven. Yeah, it seemed like in the forties, right? Just destroyed. Yeah. And uh, of course, it was all brought up. It was you know, but but George was just being honest. And so you know, he would say, "Look, if you ask George Call a question, he's he's going to answer it." Look, with the, with the last episode, one of the things that came up and refreshed pe- people's memories, or if you didn't know, because I want to get to real quick with the Bulls before we get you out of here. What were your thoughts on Pip um, as far as, you know, the Knicks series and sitting out for Tony? You know, it was big here, but it kind of happened on a Friday, so it kind of got away with it. And he actually won the next game. I think Pip made had like 14 points, but he had like an all-around game, and they pulled yeah, it out. Yeah, he dominated the rest of that series. Yeah, it was it – was, it was, so, but what were your thoughts on – what took place, but also with the lack of contrition from him in the last episode? I was surprised. You, you know, I really was on just, as you said there, the lack of contrition, right? I mean, that part that I would think that years later you would be able to, you know, maybe humble yourself some and, and just say, if I had a chance to do it all over again, I would make a different decision. But he didn't do that, right? I mean, like, he just stood pat, like, no, I would do the same thing. And so that part I was a little bit surprised by. Um, and But as you said, though, at the time, it really wasn't that big of a deal. I mean, I mean, it was like this blip that happened, and then you could analyze it later, and then you can sort of, you know, sort of nitpick it after the series, you know, but uh, it didn't cost them this. It, that's not why they lost that series. But it just, for, you know, for a a lot of people, I'm sure you guys back there, mm-hmm. it really stayed with him for a long time. And that's unfortunate because I think that was one of his worst moments. I also think, the, I mean, again, like things like tossing the chair on the floor. People don't even bring that up. I mean, <laughs> I mean right. that, was a, that was a Bobby Knight move. Right. right. Yeah. That's who came to my mind when you said it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and like, but at the time, you know, again, that was a blip. But Scotty did some things, you know, um, you know, I mean, that was just like, oh, man, they just had you sh- shaking your head. Uh, but 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 I but I like to remember that that season, he really came into his own that like we really saw the greatness of, of like Scotty for the whole, you know, point forward deal. Oh, my goodness. He was so good at it. And I think he really sort of validated Phil's triangle. That, mm-hmm. like, this is how it really can work, that the ball really should be moving, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, like, one guy shouldn't score 30. That ball should really move. All right, Percy, last one real quick before I get up out of here. Uh, obviously, this documentary is about Michael Jordan by Michael Jordan. You covered Michael Jordan. How was it covering uh, MJ? It was amazing. It, it was, it was, whoo. It was, um, I mean, you know, again, I was a young dude, too, for the coming out of J school. And so um, it was just big crowds and entourages that way. But what a lot of people don't realize is that if you got there early enough, you got there early, early enough, and you had to kind of be sort of lucky, too, that Mike was the type of guy who was also open. Um, and, and, and it didn't really matter kind of where you were from. I mean, he was always competitive that way. Like he would take a look at your sort of, you know, sort of credentials and like you say, Oh, you're from, you know, you know, here. And like, he would then think that go tell Gary X, Y, and Z as if I'm like Gary's errand boy. Like, I mean, like he would really see it that way. You from Seattle. So you must be for them. I'm like, no, I'm not for that. 
no, I'm not for them. But but he was fun that way. And, uh, I mean, it was really cool. It was just – it was big. It was just – I mean, I just remember the crowds, light, right? You're always jockeying for position, mm. that type of deal. Um, it was, um, you know, in my lifetime, look, there's been three dudes, right? Uh, and I'm 50. And so there's been three dudes. There's been Mike. Uh, MJ, Mike Tyson, and Tiger. Percy, thanks, bro. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, that was great. That was, this was fun, fun, fun. <laughs> like, this was fun, 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 to say the least. Walk down memory lane for me.